You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. You Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China. On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden arrives in Brussels with more sanctions in the pipeline. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson answering questions for another day and Madeleine Albright has died. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We'll be joined today by Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the U.N. and to Russia, among other countries, former colleague of Secretary Albright. The U.S. is planning to target political figures now reportedly in Russia with new sanctions. We'll talk about it with Hagar Shamali of Greenwich Media Strategies, former policy advisor in the Treasury Sanctions Division and has an enormous amount of knowledge and experience in this area. We get analysis today from the Signature Panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Around the world and back again, the news broke just a few hours ago. Madeleine Albright has died. The former ambassador to the U.N., the former Secretary of State, first woman to hold that job, was 84 Cancer was the cause, according to her family. Albright was, of course, central to American foreign policy in the wake of the Cold War and was the first Secretary of State to visit North Korea. This is the sound of her first meeting with Kim Jong-il, October 2000. At the time, she said holding talks with North Korea should not be considered appeasement. The news of her death broke, at least publicly, right in the middle of today's State Department briefing with spokesman Ned Price at the podium. Madeleine Albright has died. Um, I expect you'll, you'll hear more from the secretary later today. Of course, the secretary and uh, the president are, are aboard Air Force One, um, but they have been uh, apprised of this. Uh, I can say uh, that the impact that uh, Secretary Albright, uh, Professor Albright, Dr. Albright, she's known as many titles uh, around here and, and, and in Washington and, and around the world, the impact that she has had on this building is felt uh, every single day in just about every single corridor. He went on to say that Secretary of State Antony Blinken considers Albright a mentor. 
Since then, since that briefing, President Biden and Secretary Blinken have arrived in Brussels. This is the sound of Air Force One taxiing to a stop in the last hour as the president prepares for a series of meetings with our NATO allies over the next couple of days. He will then move on to Poland. That is where we begin with Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the U.N. and to Russia, among other countries. He carries the title of career ambassador, the highest in the U.S. Foreign Service. And we're always lucky to have the ambassador's views. Ambassador, the timing of Secretary Albright's death is remarkable, considering her focus, her history with Eastern Europe, just as the president is arriving with the war in Ukraine underway. What are your thoughts? Well, it reminds us of many things. I had the honor and the pleasure of working with her as her second deputy in the State Department as undersecretary. And she was forthright. She was always strong. She had very firm views, particularly on Eastern Europe. She had little love, I would say, for Russia. And that skepticism and, indeed, suspicion about Russia has proven to me more true than I think any of us had reason to believe when I worked for her. And it proves in many ways that she had a vision that went beyond the years and in many cases was formed and shaped uh, by the hard and very difficult circumstances of life. Twice a refugee from Czechoslovakia, her father a servant of Czechoslovakia, and then later a great teacher of diplomacy in the United States. University of Denver named its School of Foreign Affairs for her father. And in many ways, Mrs. Albright uh, was someone who I think was perhaps underestimated in her service as Secretary of State for all that she achieved and Mm -hmm. is due at the moment of her death with another review of how and in what way she strongly supported this country, its interests, uh, a country that she, she loved and cared for. And yeah. in many senses, gave she wrote an, all that she could to make prosper. She wrote an op-ed uh, ambassador in The New York Times uh, shortly before she died, talking about this uh, conflict with Ukraine, Russia, NATO, suggesting uh, revisionist history on the part of Vladimir Putin and said he would be making a grave mistake if he conducted a full invasion of Ukraine. She's turning out to be right already. She certainly is, and the mistake, I believe, is now being upheld by the notion that the Iranians have held out weeks longer than most people believed they could, and their determination and commitment matches hers in many ways in defending what she believed in, as they believe in their country, and the absolute need to defend it. And it reminded me in many ways of the very tough war I witnessed as a young boy, when before the Second World War unrolled in its full panoply, Finland defended itself against an unprovoked attack by the Russians and has over the years uh, managed to, in uh, many different ways, uh, become a major player and partner on the world scene. Well, give us a sense of your thoughts now. The president has touched down. We have uh, an emergency session, uh, an emergency meeting with NATO tomorrow. The president will also be meeting in Warsaw with the president of Poland this week. What is his job on this trip? Is it simply showing up? Is it the photo op ambassador, the presence of the United States, the projection of power? Or will work be had 
on this no, that, travel. No, that makes a difference, and it is always important to our NATO allies that we are seen in the midst of them, listening as well as talking, and forging uh, the strength of that alliance on the anvil of adversity, if I could call it that, because it is adversity and this attack by President Putin against Ukraine that has brought the alliance together in ways that were not foreseen and were unpredictable and which in many ways have doubled against President Putin the effort that he thought he was making yeah. to split the alliance, castigate it, uh, drive it into a corner, and seek to fracture it into small pieces. What's the Putin response here, Ambassador? I'm assuming there's going to be one. He seems to think every time the wind blows that this is an escalation uh, by the U.S. This is, this is going to mean something to Vladimir Putin when Joe Biden shows up in Poland. It'll be very interesting because President Biden is going to have to take steps to tighten up how the alliance looks at this. More assistance to Ukraine, uh, tighter economic sanctions, greater efforts to supply other than Russian oil and gas uh, to Europeans, and an effort to drive down those kinds of commodity prices as well as seek to further isolate President Putin. Uh, Putin is likely to double down in where he is now, which is what I would call the city destruction phase of the Russian invasion, something that was very much the pattern uh, in the war, the two wars against Chechnya, one of which occurred when I served in Russia, and where we watched him create devastation uh, in the name of victory. Uh, and I think he lost a great deal there, but is losing even more now. And in this regard, while it is too early, I think, uh, to raise victory flags, uh, to have ceremonies on aircraft carriers, yeah. or to do things of that sort, it is not too early to recognize mm. that on the basis of the fundamental commitment of the Ukrainian people to their own defense, they're owed by the rest of the world community as much help as we can possibly give them. Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations, ambassador to Russia, India, Israel, Nigeria, Jordan, and El Salvador. It is quite a career and a legacy. We appreciate your insights today and our condolences, Ambassador, with the loss of Madeleine Albright. We heard from Jake Sullivan, by the way, brief reporters on Air Force One poured cold water on reports from Russia that talks with Ukraine are somehow bearing fruit, reports of progress. He said he takes it with a large grain of salt. We'll assemble the panel next. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, our signature panel for the Wednesday edition of Sound On. We'll also get markets for you, check traffic to help you get home and continue the fastest hour in politics we're just getting started. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we assemble the panel, Rick and Jeannie are with us, and I know they have thoughts on the death of Madeleine Albright, the legacy of the first woman to be Secretary of State, as we enter one of the most important couple of days here for the history of American diplomacy and foreign policy. Thanks for joining us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Uh, Jeannie, it's a it's a pretty big deal. This headline hit, as you might have heard a little bit earlier, right in the middle of the State Department briefing, just as Joe Biden was crossing the ocean on his way to Brussels uh, for the NATO sessions that will begin tomorrow. The legacy of Madeleine Albright is the backdrop for all of this. Yeah. And, and you know, I was rereading the op-ed that you mentioned at the top published just a month ago today, yeah. I yeah. believe. And, you know, what is so fascinating and in keeping with with who she was and her amazing legacy, as the ambassador was just saying, is she basically predicts exactly what has happened now. She says that this action by Putin will cripple them isolate them. This will make them strategically vulnerable, and it will create a more united Western alliance. And as you mentioned, here we have the president of the United States going right into Brussels, meeting with these allies. This is exactly what she predicted would happen. NATO would not have been this united in the absence of this uh, attack. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, something that when you read her, reread her op-ed, it is striking how on point it is. She had Vladimir Putin down to a T, Rick Davis. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's figured him out a long time ago. You know, she was an old friend of John McCain's. Uh, she chaired the National Democratic Institute and John, the IRI, and they bonded in 1990 when they went to Czechoslovakia as observers of a free and fair election. And she took him to her hometown and they it was really a special bond between the two of them. And they were fighting for democracy all around the world their entire careers and uh, could not be uh, any better uh, friends. And I know that she's probably now together with him talking about Vladimir Putin uh, and seeing KGB in his eyes. (laughs) And they're saying, boy, Rick Davis is still telling the story down below. Uh, What do you make of the news as the president is landing here? Uh, While they were in the air, Jeannie, the secretary of state, 
uh, with the president. We heard from Jake Sullivan, went to the back of the plane uh, to speak with reporters here. The plan, the U.S. will sanction political figures. They're actually going after lawmakers in Russia. He said the United States will announce a package of sanctions designation tomorrow that relate both to political figures, oligarchs, so individual designations, as well as entities that'll be released. Is this the kind of additional sanctions that you want to see? It it absolutely is. And, and you know, one of the things that, just to go back to Madeleine Albright, she also says in that op-ed, and she said when she spoke about this, was it was going to take that crack internally in the Kremlin and in Russia to push back on Vladimir Putin. And, of course, that's what these kinds of sanctions on the oligarchs, on the lawmakers do. And, of course, they're also talking about addressing the secondary sanctions, any attempt yeah. to evade those sanctions. Yeah. All of those are important steps. And, and I would note, you also had NATO secretary say that that they believe there may be a call on China to live up to its responsibilities as a member of the UN mm-hmm. and to call out Russia, condemn this invasion. And that is going to be critical because that is a relationship that Putin is depending on to see him through this. Rick, this is like if, if sanctions were placed against members of the House of Representatives, right? I mean, are, are these uh, political figures going to do anything about it? Does this increase pressure on Vladimir Putin? Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, uh, the, the Speaker of the House uh, right. getting uh, sanctions from a former foreign government and her political action committee. I mean, that would really be interesting. <laughs> that, that's uh, right. Look, the Duma there, their lower house, is full of Putin cronies. They're, they're kleptocrats. They steal from the state. They're all part of the same kind of club that uh, robs the state of resources in order to ingratiate themselves. And, uh, and, and I think this is a great way for this administration to shine a light on it. Uh, and uh, and to try and stir some uh, trouble up in the Duma. Uh, we, we all remember many years ago the attack on the Duma. I mean, Russia wasn't always such a peaceful place, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think we would love to see something like that by the people of, uh, of, oh, of, of Moscow. Starting to sound like Lindsey Graham here a little bit. Uh, the Secretary of State, speaking about war crimes today, Jeannie, uh, says that Russian forces have destroyed apartment buildings, schools, hospitals, critical infrastructure, civilian vehicles, shopping centers, ambulances, thousands of innocent civilians killed or wounded. That does equal war crimes, right? How do you negotiate? And the Ukraine is talking with the Ukrainian uh, officials are talking with Russian officials in the hopes of getting some kind of a ceasefire. How do you negotiate with a war criminal? Well, this is the problem, and this is why I was surprised the other day when Joe Biden turned around in response to a reporter's question and and said that, you know, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Now you have this statement today. And, of course, the actions constitute the very the very act of a war criminal and war crimes. There's no question of that. The problem for the United States is we are not going to be involved in adjudicating that at any point in the future directly. And it also makes it very, very difficult to get any off ramp for the Ukraine and particularly particularly for Putin, or let Russia or Vladimir Putin back into the world if that is what Mm. is to happen. And so, you know, that is part of the problem here with these designations. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. As we remember Madeleine Albright today, we remember the pins, of course, right? The brooches. And she explained what inspired them in a TED Talk. My instructions were things about Saddam Hussein constantly, which he deserved. He had invaded another country. And so all of a sudden, a poem appeared in the papers in Baghdad, comparing me to many things, but among them an unparalleled serpent. And so I happened to have a snake pin. So I wore it when we talked about Iraq. 
and when I went out to meet the press, they zeroed in and said, why are you wearing that snake pit? I said, because Saddam Hussein compared me to an unparalleled serpent. And then I thought, well, this is fun. So I went out and I bought a lot of pins that would, in fact, reflect what I thought we were going to do on any given day. So that's how it all started. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to Boston, Bloomberg 106.1, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The mobile White House has landed in Europe. The president's national security advisor says another round of sanctions will be announced tomorrow as the president gets into negotiations and talks with our NATO allies about the next steps for Russia and Ukraine. We'll talk about it next with Hagar Shamali of Greenwich Media Strategies, former senior policy advisor in the Treasury Sanctions Division. Jake Sullivan went to the back of the plane today to brief reporters flying on Air Force One. They crossed the ocean today. Landed in Brussels a short time ago. And Jake Sullivan generating the headline on the terminal U.S. to impose new sanctions on political figures and oligarchs. Here he is, mask on, in flight. G7 leaders tomorrow will agree on an initiative to coordinate on sanctions enforcement so that Russian efforts to evade the sanctions or other countries' effort to help Russia evade the sanctions can be dealt with effectively and in a coordinated fashion. All right, so you've got a heads up on a major story that we're going to be talking about tomorrow as the U.S. looks for ways to increase liquid natural gas supplies. This is where we start the conversation with Thagar Shamali, who's back with us. The CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies spent some time at Treasury as a spokesperson for the Terror and Financial Intelligence Unit, also a senior policy advisor in the Treasury Sanctions Division also now non-resident senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's Geoeconomics Center. I could keep going, Agar, but I need to ask you questions at some point here. Thank you for coming <laughs> back. It's great to have you. What Thank do you think you. about this next layer of sanctions to actually go after political figures in Russia? Is that the type of pressure that we can apply indirectly on Vladimir Putin? Well, a move like that to sanction that many that that many individuals you're talking about about 300 individuals yeah. that's not a move treasury has taken before against other countries where we've also have heavy sanctions regimes for example Iran or North Korea or Syria and inevitably in that group of 300 you're also going to hit some oligarchs those who are tied to president putin in fact most of the parliamentarians in the duma in the russian parliament are tied to president putin or somehow allowed to be there or are encouraged to be there or are individuals he himself has placed so it is going to help undermine the and disrupt and dismantle the financial networks of the kremlin but i think the most important part with this move that you have coming up is that it's going to show unity with the eu with um, the European states, and they're trying to show that there's no daylight between the United States mm -hmm. and Europe when it comes to these targeted financial measures. When they talk about next steps uh, for Ukraine, uh, that's a separate conversation that I, as, we're, as we discuss military strategy, or at least military support here. But, but the real action is in the sanctions, Hagar. Are they working yet? Well, yes. I, I need to define what working means, though. 
they're all sanctions, especially coming from the United States, are extremely powerful and potent. And the reason for that is that not only is it going to cut off the target from the U.S. financial system by freezing any assets they have in U.S. jurisdiction and prohibiting U.S. persons from doing business with them, but it unleashes these global market forces where banks and businesses from around the world decide that in order to protect their own reputation and avoid risk, they also decide not to do business with the sanctioned target. And there are many reasons for that. Some of it is reputational risk. Some of it is because if it's a bank, maybe they have correspondent relationships with New York and they don't want to undermine that. Or maybe they don't want, they're afraid to get in the crosshairs of U.S. sanctions. There's a threat right now that Congress is debating secondary sanctions. Secondary sanctions are when anybody doing business with the designated target could also Mm -hmm. themselves be at threat of being of, of being on the other side of U.S. sanctions. So that tends to deter that type of behavior, Would the too. Treasury do that, Agar? And I ask you that because a lot of Republican lawmakers have been calling for secondary sanctions, but they have yet to produce legislation. Can the administration do that? Or I guess a better way to ask is, would the U.S. Treasury get involved in that? Because, it, because it's indirect. Well, secondary, we, right now we have secondary sanctions in place for Iran sanctions. Yep. And for some sanctions related to Hezbollah. It's a but different it matter when you talk law, about Russia. Not with Russia, but it requ- it's not a move that is taken by the Biden administration or any administration. It's a, it's a move that needs to happen from the U.S. Congress. Understood. So that would have to come from lawmakers. Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes. They're, they're having a hard time agreeing on this. I mean, at, at, what, at what point do you see a breakthrough happening if you're following this from the legislative uh, perspective? Well, it, it has to be that, I mean, if, if they're complaining, if Republican lawmakers are complaining that, that it's not moving, I, and they're pointing the finger at the administration, they're pointing the finger at the wrong people. It has to be that they draft a bill and they work with their colleagues along, across the aisle to make it happen. And so what you're going to want to see is movement in the committees, right, in the Senate Banking Committee, for example. That's where you're going to see bills like that come out. And by the way, they do work with the administration behind the scenes to make sure that the, these, le- these pieces of legislation are, are realistic and yeah. that they give the administration the authority they need, but also without stepping on their toes too much and making, sure. uh, making things difficult. But, um, but We've it talked is about it quite a, a bit with Kevin Brady from Ways and Means, uh, with, for, to your point, banking. We've had French Hill talk about it. It's just, you know, you start wondering how many weeks can march by before we actually need to produce a, a, a product here. But I, in, in terms of the effectiveness of sanctions, Hagar, uh, remember we were told that, that taking Russia out of the SWIFT network was the nuclear option is what they were calling it at that point. Uh, we were told, uh, say, sanctioning the central bank would make the difference. I realize we haven't gone that far yet, but how about any of these other levers that we have pulled that were supposed to shut things down? And it hasn't really changed any behavior on the part of Vladimir Putin. Well, that's it's not requiring, expecting sanctions to completely change behavior would be an unrealistic expectation. Okay. And it's not what the administration's trying to convey anyway, because they're aware of that. Sanctions are just part of a broader strategy, and it's the strategy that is meant to change Putin's behavior, and sanctions are one prong. Ultimately, the goal of sanctions is to disrupt and dismantle the financial networks of the Kremlin so that it makes it harder for them to finance their 
war machine. And you are already seeing effects of that. For example, there was a report that came out from Ukraine. And again, it's not confirmed. It came out from Ukraine, but it was reported on here yeah. that, that the Russian military is unable to fix or build new tanks. And the reason right. for that is that they're not able to get the components they need that are made from elsewhere around the world. So banning and, the technology imports was a wise, uh, obviously a wise move here in the yes. combined sanctions impact. Hagar Shamali, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your insights. Come back because we're going to learn a lot more tomorrow and we'll need you to walk us through some of this here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for being with us. We'll reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Considering what we heard from Hagar Shamali, we reassemble the panel with an eye on sanctions here. President Biden, if you're just joining us, has made his way to Brussels. Air Force One touchdown uh, just about an hour ago at this point. And, of course, they're several hours ahead of us. They'll get to the real business tomorrow with extraordinary meetings, as they refer to the extraordinary meeting of NATO, an emergency meeting, essentially, and he'll also be conducting uh, some talks with our G7 allies before moving on to Poland. We reassemble the panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, what's your thought on, I don't mean to be impatient here, but, you know, people are dying. And we're, we're starting to ask more questions about the effectiveness of the sanctions already in place. You remember SWIFT was supposed to be the end-all, be-all. At what point should we start seeing the impact beyond what we have already? Well, one of the things you hope to accomplish is disruption within the community around the, uh, Russia. And so you are seeing protests and, and disruptions 
um, uh, and are, and they're being met with violent reactions from from Putin's government and yeah. stormtroopers. So so that is actually starting to happen, and I think that's a positive sign that. And the that's sanctions, a metric for you to see the people if the people are rising up or not. Yeah, because that actually can create change, right? If Putin feels like he's losing his grip politically in Russia, that's more important to him than the battlefield in the Ukraine. And so I think that is a very important target of these economic sanctions that are going through. Plus, uh, and I think this is the subject of the EU discussions, is Russia is very good at finding holes in the sanctions regime. And so you just got to keep cracking down so that those holes get closed along the way. And there was no way to foresee that. Um, You know, Russia insisting that you buy their oil with rubles. That's another Mm -hmm. example uh, and so I think that, that that will start to happen in and around the G7, in and around the, the, the EU meetings. And I think that just puts more and more pressure on the Russian population, which will hopefully result in uh, their protestations that yeah. will help destabilize Putin. Does the swift uh, bit here seem a little cute to you at this point, Jeannie? Remember, that was just supposed to be, you know, something that we've only ever done to Iran. This is beyond anything. Well, it's happened. And you know, there are calls for more still. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you go back just a few weeks and people were saying, you know, this would be the be all end all. And and apparently it's not. But I think the reality of sanctions and and in your discussion, this was just addressed, is that it seldom changes the behavior. It's not going to change the behavior of somebody like Putin. But to Rick's point, Unfortunately, what you're doing with sanctions is you are pressuring the middle class. You are pressuring the people within the the system, within the nation, who are suffering as a result of this. I mean, we heard this over the weekend with this producer from Moscow who protested live on TV. She was on ABC saying, you know, this is what's happening. You know, my child couldn't go to school and buy lunch, for instance. So that's, you know, you're hurting those people. And you're also hurting people at the upper levels. You know, we heard one of the Vladimir Putin's closest advisors has now resigned and left the country. He's the highest level official to break off from Moscow over this. Now, that's not a direct result from sanctions, but that's the kind of pressure that's going to change Putin's behavior because he's not going to be impacted monetarily by these sanctions himself or personally. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be interesting to hear uh, from the president tomorrow in terms of what they are announcing here. It seems to me that that it's it's not going to have the impact that we're hoping until we can find an alternate source of LNG for Europe. Right. Just cut them off, cut off that entire economy for Russia. I want to move to the, the Supreme Court hearings today. It's something that. We've talked about each day. It's it's still underway right now. Actually, they just went to break a short time ago. Uh, the second day of questions. The members of the judiciary get another 20 minutes today, and it's really sounded a lot like yesterday in, in becoming this extended expose on child pornography cases. I know, Rick and Jeannie, you both have been monitoring this, and we talked about it a bit yesterday, but Lindsey Graham went after it. Josh Hawley went after it. Ted Cruz went after it. Tom Cotton, all specifically about these nine cases in which she's sentenced uh, below guidelines and below what prosecutors were asking for. It's gotten to the point now where Republican grandstanding, Rick, we talked about this a bit earlier in the day, is completely uh, blowing the chair out of the water. Dick Durbin doesn't even know what to do. I want to play an exchange for you with Ted Cruz and the chair of the Judiciary Committee as this has become even, we're not even talking to the witness any longer. 
Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson is now in the audience. You come in with 57 Time months. Time has expired. Why Senators did you send minutes them over to just 57 months in the Stewart case? Do you want to address that? Because you're claiming it's cherry picking. In fact, you're welcome to explain any of these cases, but let's take the Stewart case. Why Coons, did you sentence him for half the amount? You're not recognized, Senator. Senator you, Coons. You don't want her to answer that question? You wouldn't allow her in. Anyway. Mr. Chairman, she may answer the question. I've asked her why she sentenced Stewart. You've gone over the time, Senator, by two minutes. Why she? And a half. Because you've interrupted me for two minutes, Mr. Chairman. Will you allow her to answer the question, or do you not want the American people to hear why, with someone she described as an egregious? Well, there comes a point, Senator, where you get a little bit. Chairman Durbin, will you allow her this to answer the question? This just keeps going on for minutes. I, I, I will happily allow her to. The question is Senator why thank you, Chairman Stewart, an egregious child. Chris Coons is trying to get in. And save this thing. Half of the amount Please, requested by the prosecutor. Please, Senator. I'd play the whole thing for it. We don't have enough time in the show. This went on. This was an extended passage today. Rick, you've been in a lot of these hearings. You've helped to prepare senators for hearings. Uh, we were told yesterday and on Monday about what this would not be, right? The Republican members were pledging to not have to go through another Kavanaugh-style hearing. But it got pretty chippy today. At what point does this run afoul to Senate rules or relationships? What does the chairman do after this? Well, I, I think you're a long way away from actually running afoul of Senate rules. I mean, you know, the Senate rules are actually built in order to have a fulsome debate. And so uh, that's the hardest thing to uh, peel back. But look, I mean, focus on Judge Jackson. What was her reaction to all this? I think she just stayed relatively quiet. If the senator wants to use his 20 minutes to go on a tirade, um, then let him go on a tirade because there's absolutely, and when you look at the transcript, she said like three words in 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and yet he claims that the chair was keeping him from getting an answer when, and he had no interest in an answer whatsoever. So she was well briefed. She, she kept cool. Uh, that's the key thing. Don't let, this is all just grandstanding. What happens after a hearing like this though? Bring us, uh, you know, backstage for a minute. Does, does, does Ted Cruz get a call to come down to the chair's office? Do they see each other next time they talk? So what the hell was that all about? I mean, what, what follows that? Uh, usually nothing, uh, there's, nothing. Uh, especially across the aisle. Sometimes this happens within the Republican caucus yeah. or the Democratic caucus. Then there is a conversation. Okay. Um, uh, I know John McCain used to have those conversations with Mitch McConnell <laughs> all the time. Uh, and then some went fine and some did not go fine. But uh, but in this case, uh, you just mark this up as score settling because from Ted Cruz, Hawley, uh, uh, Lindsey Graham, they all feel like this is exactly what the Democrats did to Kavanaugh, and 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 they're now doing it to Jackson. And, and this is good politics, right, Jeannie? Everyone's going to raise money on this. You, you know, I, I don't know if it's good politics. Yeah, they, they will raise money on it. It is preposterous to me. You said Rick and I are following this. I have to tell you, I don't know what it says about me, but I have been glued to this um, for two days well, now, wasting story. my life, Joe Matthew, <laughs> listening to this nonsense. But, you know, you heard, to you know, they, they are relitigating. You know, you had Lindsey Graham asking her towards the end of his time period today, you know, if I knew something about you and I raised it at the last minute, you know, yes, he's relitigating right. Justice Kavanaugh. I half expected him to ask her to relitigate Robert Bork as if she's had anything to do with this. <laughs> and, you know, if you listen to this, you would think the only thing the woman has ever done as a judge 
is these six to nine cases on child porn. And, you know, I thought when Josh Hawley asked her towards the end of the day, do you regret your sentencing in child porn? She was so smart in saying, I regret that my hearings about my qualifications to be a justice on the Supreme Court has focused on this small subset of these sentences. And that's Man. absolutely the right response. Well, so we're going to have a pretty quiet day tomorrow, witness testimony uh they haven't scheduled a vote yet, Rick, but in our remaining 30 seconds, you both still believe she will be confirmed on party lines. Yes, Rick Davis? Yeah, party line. I mean, nothing I saw this week uh, is going to indicate to me that there are going to be any Republicans crossing the aisle. Same for you, Jeannie? Yeah, she she probably will just get the 51, but maybe she'll get one or two Republicans. Mm. I, I'm not sure. We'll see about that. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, great talk, and thanks as ever. Our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. In this Women's History Month, it is March still. Every day this month we're celebrating with Bloomberg's Renita Young. Here's her installment for Wednesday, March 23rd. On this day in women's history in 1917, Virginia Woolf establishes the Hogarth Press with her husband, Leonard Woolf, in the dining room of their home. They published works by key modernist writers. And on the day they established the Hogarth Press, Virginia and Leonard were walking down the street in London and saw the Excelsior Printing Supply Company window. Before that, they'd been turned down at the St. Bride School of Printing. But when they walked into Excelsior, an assistant convinced them that with the help of a 16-page booklet, they'd be able to teach themselves all they needed to start their own printing business. So the Wolfs bought a small hand printing press and launched the business. Virginia would print several of her own books, and she's now considered one of the most innovative writers of the 20th century. Through their non-linear approaches to writing, Virginia's novels greatly influenced the narrative genre. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. We need to thank you and thanks to everyone for jumping in for Bloomberg Sound On today, including Ambassador Pickering, Hagar Shamali, Rick and Jeannie. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'll meet you back here. The fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.